Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are still in our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 78. Last week we were in John and we saw Jesus using this parable of the Good Shepherd in the 10th chapter. And we were trying to make sense of what Jesus was saying based on our lookings uh, of Ezekiel chapter 34 at how God had promised Israel that he was going to be a shepherd to his people, but yet also at the same time he was going to bring someone to the people to act as a shepherd for them. Uh, And we saw where Jesus was both indicating that he was like the doorkeeper of the flock and like giving access uh, to the sheep to the shepherd, which is God the Father. But then later in the chapter, he's like, well, I am the good shepherd. So he's like fulfilling both roles in Ezekiel 34 of saying like God's the shepherd and he also sent me as the shepherd to the people. Yeah. Um, saw all kinds of really good parallels. Like he he alluded to the nations being brought in with him saying like, I have sheep of other folds that are not of this fold. And like, they're going to come to me as well, which was like super right. cool image. And then really, really mysterious, strange thing at the end about him saying like, I, I have my own authority to lay my life down and bring it up myself. And <laughs> you and I were like, what does that mean? Like, I thought God had authority over him. And so we were just wrestling with that a lot. Um, and that's where we, we left off. Yeah. And I j- just occurred to me, that's another one of those lessons that we can take away in life. Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. I think we've actually said that on this podcast before. So hopefully we can keep that up when it's appropriate. Uh, and again, we invited you, if you if you know the answer, by all means, Edumacate us, because <laughs> we don't know. But yeah, that's good. That was good. And uh, you know that that a lot of that would have been very difficult to understand all by itself. Bringing Ezekiel thirty four into it really, really, I think, made that much uh, easier to to understand to 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 make a cohesive picture out of. So that was good. But you know what, Samuel? Today. We are out of the book of John, and every time this happens, it seems like we got this big context shift, or it feels somewhat jarring or whatever. But here we are today, uh, we're going to begin in a a little section from Luke. This is chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, and let's just read it, and then we'll figure out what the heck's going on. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, 
Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This is one of those that, I don't know, is this like really good instruction? I mean, people could take this so wrong, but let's try and figure out what's going on. Uh, As I said, we're out of John's gospel, but now we're kind of left in this place of we, we we don't really know where we are. I mean, here's the thing. As Luke is telling the story, if we were only looking at Luke's gospel, he has just given his disciple the Lord's Prayer or as we suggested, maybe we should call it the Disciples' Prayer or something like that. And it says that they did that in a certain place. And, uh, okay, well, that, and and we did talk about this a little bit with Luke, but this also kind of lines up with Matthew's account. And both of them, they, they sort of suggest that this would be near where he gave the Sermon on the Mount. And and I don't know if you remember, this seems like it was a while ago in our podcast, but Jesus had kind of a favorite prayer spot and things. So so it kind of feels like we're back there. Uh, I don't, I don't, we don't know for sure. But anyway, this is a guess. That's where we think we are. But anyway, Jesus, again, he's just been asked in Luke's version about prayer. And so he he gave them the Lord's prayer, the disciples prayer. And now Jesus is using this parable to expound on that, to expound on prayer generally. So here it is. We get the story of a man and a friend shows up to his house, but it's really, really late. And the man, you know, it's his house. He doesn't have anything. He's got nothing to feed his friend. He's totally unprepared. Now, this is bad because in terms of hospitality, culturally and all that, I mean, it's expected. It's normal. Somebody shows up to your house. You've got to feed them and take care of them, and especially for a friend. And so this man, he's in a really, really tough spot. He doesn't want to fail in his so-called duty, right? And especially for a friend. Have we said that already? So what's he going to do? He goes to another friend, presumably a neighbor kind of friend, somebody close by, right? And he says uh, this, uh, well, so the other friend, uh, he and his family, it's kind of like the Christmas story. They're all nestled snug in their beds, right? <laughs> and just so you get the, the image in your head, it probably just means they're on the floor. I mean, the place, I mean, some places were bigger, but, you know, more like the average home, it's probably just a floor. You've probably got the entire family together. It's a way of keeping safe. It's a way of keeping warm, uh, etc. And, and uh, you know, they even, some, some writings tell us that, that, that it was common for the dad to be the one who was by the door. That was just another uh, feature uh, for safety. And, and you can imagine, just think of when, like in America, we have to imagine when all the electricity goes out or something like that. Imagine how dark it is. I mean, it's just, it's totally bad. So just being fair for this friend that, that, you know, his door is being knocked on, this is going to be pretty disruptive for him, his whole family. I mean, they're probably already asleep. So what does this other friend do? He's, he, he just refuses. He's like, no, I'm not doing this. Go away now. I can't do it, right? It's just, it's like he does not even want to participate. And 
I mean, if we're being fair, it's like both guys, you can, there's some part of you that can relate and go, man, <laughs> I wouldn't want to give him anything either. Just get out of here. Oh, and, and you can also understand, but I got to do, I mean, what else am I going to do? I've got to come bug you. Sorry, not sorry, Reese's. So the thing is though, that Jesus, he kind of abruptly stops telling the story and he jumps right to the point. And his point is this, if the man persists, he just keeps on knocking and boldly keeps asking, come on, dude, give me some bread, even to the point of being offensive. It's like shameless persistence. Well, here's the thing. His friend is going to give him what he's asking for. It's going to give him what he needs. But Jesus also mentions, and I think this is so classic, he's not doing it because he's a friend. That has totally left the story. It's no longer on the table. He's doing it just to get rid of him. <laughs> I mean, he knows the guy's not going to stop asking, right? And I just, to, there, part of me, it's like, that is so instructive for us in terms of understanding each other as humans. And at the same time, that's just hilarious to me. I don't know why. I get a kick out of that. But anyway, <laughs> the point, the point, even a friend who isn't being friendly, no, I'm not giving you what you want, will eventually respond to a bold persistent request. And so what what do we do with that? And remember, this all started with the disciples asking about prayer. And so now we have this little parable about being bold and persistent. So so what's being said? Number one, we should notice, well, I shouldn't say number one because I don't have any two or three. Um, Let's just say this. Notice that what's being requested I mean, it's it's a good thing. I think it's fair for us to categorize it that way. So we need to note that. What's being requested is a good thing. He was trying to uh, give hospitality. He was asking for aid in, in doing that for a friend, traveler, whatever. And the man that's asking, I think at least in simplest terms, we can say this represents any person, you, me, anybody, a person in prayer. And the man who's being reluctant to help, this is going to sound weird, that represents God. He's the one being prayed to. But having said that out loud, remember, we've talked about parables before. We've talked about how parables are intended to get across, usually, a singular point. And once you go beyond that singular point, there's the opportunity to really misunderstand some things. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't ever do it and there aren't sometimes cool things there, but we need to be careful. And this is one of those cases. The the reluctant man representing God is in no way intended to suggest that God only gives reluctantly. That would be crazy, right, Samuel? Mm -hmm. So, in fact, it's implying the opposite, 
but but we don't see it here yet. We're going to see it more explicitly as we continue below. But just remember, parables are trying to make a single point. And what is the point here? It's it's about being bold and persistent in prayer. It's that it is effective. You will get the answer to your prayer. And remembering that the thing being asked for is a good thing. And then once you go beyond that, you know, it's risky. You may find something cool or you may really misunderstand. So let's let's be careful. Make sense, Samuel? Yeah, and it sounds very similar to what Jesus said, at least in Luke's gospel later. I think it's in chapter 18. It's the first eight verses, the parable of the persistent widow uh, going before the unjust judge. Um, I can't remember whether yeah. we've gone through that chronologically yet, but it's it's the same premise. It's like the the unjust judge doesn't want to hear the plea of the widow, but because of her persistence, he grants her the request, and then Jesus uses that to say, like, if an unjust judge is willing to do that, like, how much more is a just God in heaven going to do things like that for those who call out to him? Exactly. Yeah. And in that parable, I don't think we've done that. I think that's in our future. Again, we would look at that and we would say that the unjust judge in the parable represents God. But it doesn't mean that God is reluctant or doesn't want to help, you know, the poor old lady or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it's a great example, Samuel. Great example. So, uh, Jesus isn't done. Uh, let, let's go ahead and see what he's got next. As we're continuing in Luke. It's chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 now. He says this. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I don't know. Kind of sounds like a prosperity gospel to me. (laughs) No. Jesus is continuing on the same topic. We're talking about uh, uh, boldly persistent prayer. And the thing is, it, it's appropriate, always. It, it is, it's effective. So what's Jesus talking about here with ask, seek, and knock? I think, I'm betting many people who are listening to this podcast have heard somebody somewhere preaching, maybe teaching on TV, YouTube, I don't know what it is, but you've heard somebody talking about this whole, it, it isn't just saying to ask, it's saying to ask and keep on asking. Not just seek, seek and keep on seeking. You know what? Totally true. I mean, these words, they are in fact the present active imperative. That that is what they're saying. And it's a good point. But more importantly, though, is the context. Jesus just told the parable about being boldly persistent in prayer. And so Jesus is expounding on that. It's, it's a continuation of the same message. If you are boldly persistent, you will get what you ask for. And, and, and talking about the seeking, it's kind of a slight change of topic here. The, the seeking is referring to God himself. If you are seeking God, 
you will find him. In fact, you know what? Samuel, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. Okay, in context back in Deuteronomy, they happen to be talking about, you know, idolatry and wandering and these things. But read Deuteronomy 4.29. This is about seeking the Lord. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Yeah. So again, to seek and keep on seeking, right? But, but what are you seeking for? You're seeking for God. So asking in prayer, seeking for God. And finally, the knocking, I I. Truly believe in this context, the knocking is referring to entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and notice, Jesus has switched from talking about a friend. So he told his parable about a friend. And now as he's expounding, continuing the topic, he's now moved to talking directly about God. But now that we've said that, okay, so you're, you're asking for what you want, you're seeking God, you're you're knocking on the door to enter into king into the kingdom, which we've talked about. We know what that all means. Okay, Samuel, does this mean that I can get God to do what I want if I'm relentlessly pestering him about you know anything? I think my life but our all of our lives would be very would look very different if that was true. Yeah, of course. In the moment, we always want it to be true, right? But when we're being clear-headed, when I mean, we know that this would be ridiculously awful, if God actually gave us everything we had, that would just be bad, bad. And of course, that's not what this verse is talking about. Of course not. God can't be manipulated. He just, he, he, he can't, he won't. But as I was writing some of my notes here about all this, it occurred to me, you know, there is throughout man's history, and maybe some of us have even experienced it in our own lives, there is a little bit of surprise here. I'm going to ask you another question, Samuel. Do you think that God would ever give you what you want, even though it may not actually be for your good. Yeah, I can think of an example from the Torah where we see God doing that with one of the patriarchs. Lay it on me. Um, Whenever Abraham was getting very antsy about his lineage continuing in Genesis, um, because he and uh, Sarah were barren, and God didn't want to disclose what was what the plan was. the The text seems to imply that Abraham was calling out, and God's response was basically silence. And Abraham persisted, <laughs> and then God responded, "Is like no, like okay, I'm going to tell you this, but there's a chance that it, you could screw up your own story. He's like <laughs> you're going to have a son from your own loins." But then Abraham took that and ran with it, and that's what led to the whole fiasco with. Hagar and the the birth of Ishmael because Abraham's yeah. like, well, God said it's going to come from my own womb, so if Sarah's not going to birth <laughs> the child, then I need to go out of wedlock and have someone else birth the child. Which I don't, I don't think that's maybe what God was hinting at or wanting in the first place. Yes, and just for those who may have actually been paying attention, yes, Abraham did not have a womb, but we all knew <laughs> what Samuel meant. 
<laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> but yes, that's a great example. And there are others. And some of them are huge. Samuel, what about the Tower of Babel? God actually let mankind do what he wanted. You can go read about that in Genesis 11. God basically said, all right, you know what? You guys go do your own thing. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get busy fixing the world. I'm just going to do it through this one man, Abraham, and this one little strip of land, Israel. And you guys do whatever you want. I'll bring it all together in the end. Or you could look at the nation of Israel. And they knew, they knew exactly what their actions, their behavior, everything, they knew what it would lead to. It was very clear in their covenant. And yet they continued, they, in a sense, they chose their own fate, but God gave them what they had been quote unquote asking for the Babylonian exile, bad thing, but they, they wanted what they wanted. You just, and I mean, if you want to read about it, that's kind of like the whole center section of your Bible. So I don't really know how to, (laughs) how to give you references on that one, but here's the thing. God doesn't tarry with man forever. God may at some point give them over even to their own desires. You could read about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. God will not be mocked. And so we, as Christians, disciples, whatever, we have to actually hold those two things in tension. Yeah, you need to be persistent and bold and go for what you want. But you know what? You may be asking amiss, I believe is how one particular verse puts it. God may at some point even ask, even answer a poorly chosen request, poorly chosen prayer. See, if you go back, you look at the man who is seeking food for hospitality. He was actually doing a good thing. We could even relate that and say, in some sense, he was attempting to imitate God, to to be like God, to image God. And so our aim, our goal should be that our requests in prayer also be good. What does that even mean? Well, the best way to define that is that they are aligned with God's will. If you are bold and persistent with your prayer requests to God, and those requests are aligned with God's will, then you know what? You can be the old woman with the judge. You can be the guy knocking on the door with the family asleep. Or you, you can be that, and you can rest assured that God will hear and God will respond. Now, is it also possible to pray with what we you know, just 100% are certain is in line with God's will, and yet we still don't see the end result, Samuel? Yeah. <laughs> and and why might that be? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the easiest way I think of it is it's timing. God is going to do what he is going to do, and you may be perfectly in sync with that, but kind of like uh, we've seen many of the patriarchs, many of the stories. Hebrews talks a little bit about this. A lot of these guys lived and and they saw things that they wanted to come to pass, and yet they never saw them. Things like that. So I, it, we just we've got to get out of this this thing of where everything is formulaic. Well, it says if I ask, he's going to answer. Yes, it does, and and generally, yes, it's true, and. Are, you know, are there stipulations? Yeah. You don't want to be saying, oh God, give me a Jaguar. 
Give me a, a Lamborghini. You know, I want a a mansion with, you know, six indoor pools. I, okay. Maybe you'll have those things in your life. I don't know. And if they, I, I don't know, good for you, whatever. But we can't look at, it's just not formula. It is more than anything, you just need to be on God's team. And the more and more and more you are on God's team in alignment with his will, the more and more and more you're going to feel like everything that you want, everything that you desire does in fact come to pass because you're on the God train. So anyway, I don't know. That's the way I look at all that stuff. Yeah, definitely two aspects of what Jesus is saying in these two verses I understand and accept and wrestling with less than the third, the the things that you mentioned about what seeking means and knocking about seeking after God and knocking for entrance into the kingdom. Absolutely, I'm on board with that, but <clears throat> I'm still wrestling with that aspect about the asking portion of this. this um, I think your comment was, if you are boldly persistent, you will get what you ask for, <clears throat> just because, I mean, I have examples in my family, and I'm sure all across human history, all over the world, people have been aligned with God's will in terms of wanting to see redemption and restoration for where they see brokenness in other people's lives and being boldly persistent in praying for God to intervene and turn things around for those loved ones or those friends or family members whose lives are crippled with either addiction or trauma or um, mental illness, whatever, and it just seems like they're trapped and paralyzed and people go their whole lives praying for a change and then that person's life comes to an end at whatever time and it's like, well, what about that? Like, th- that that's a really hard example for me to grapple with. Like, I know right. that God wants those things, but why wouldn't he have given like granted those requests if if i see someone that's suffering and their lives are just <laughs> not filled with goodness <laughs> it's hard it is that's a that's a great example samuel it's a great question and you know the, again this is one of those things where you back off you try to be clear minded and you say does anyone desire for god to violate their will. No, that I think lots of people would not be okay with that. Right. We we don't. We it's it's so difficult when when we realize what does it mean to have free will. Well, in in the same way that it represents good things, right? We have the the opportunity to choose God over evil. Uh similarly, it means that God is not going to violate that. And so I know this, it's not directly answering your question about ask and keep on asking, because there still feels like a disappointment. It still feels like a letdown, etc. But in this one specific case, in the same way that you wouldn't want God to violate your will, he's not going to violate someone else's. And it, we, we have to get in our head when people reject God, they are the ones who are rejecting God. It's not God's fault. Another thing that would probably be really good to keep in mind is we don't know the end of the story. God sees the heart. 
we may look on something from the outside and and think, well, I mean, life can't be their end. It doesn't make sense. And we may or may not be right. We might look at other people and we are just convinced, oh, life is definitely their end, eternal life. And you know what? We may or may not be right. It's very difficult to judge those things, but we have to recognize that God is not in the business of puppets. I mean, what would be the point? It would be like if if you were a parent, you had a child, and I don't know, you called them out of their room, maybe they were in there playing with their Legos or something, you called them out of your out of their room, and they they were standing in front of you and you said, "All right. <clears throat> I'm 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 the dad, right?" Yeah. Okay. I want you to love me in this way now. I want you to uh uh give me a hug or uh give me a little sugar. That's what we would say, right? <laughs> <laughs> or I you know, fill in the blank something. I want I want you to do what I want and if you do what I say then I as the dad would feel like see they totally love me as opposed to let's say you're a dad you're sitting on your couch maybe you're wrapped up in whatever you think is important in your life and all that and your kid all on their own comes out of their room and they interrupt you, and I mean, you might even be a little bit bothered because, you know, you're busy on important stuff, right? But the kid comes out, and it's like, okay, what is it that you want? And I just want to hug you, or I just want to give you some sugar, you know, or what. And your kid, they just all on their own, just totally without any guiding, prompting, anything from you, there's just an outpouring of affection, of, of love toward you. Now, in that moment, how do you feel about your kid? I mean, you know that they love you. It's a totally different thing. Well, it's no different with God. God doesn't want to make people do certain things, and then he sits back and goes, now I feel loved. No, he wants people to actually love him. So he's not going to twist your spiritual arm. And if if you will not choose him, if you reject him, then you'll live with that decision. I'm sorry, I kind of got off on a tangent, soapbox, whatever. But I mean, it does relate to your question. But Samuel, do you want to respond or ask something new or whatever? Wait, what what do you want to do with that? No, I mean, I think it adds to the conversation for sure. And I think the next section that we're getting ready to go into will add some maybe more detail and context to this ongoing discussion as well. So I'm going to let you continue on and there'll probably be more stuff to come up as we read these next verses. Yeah, you're probably right. We're probably headed right into it. But again, just like that that final summary, it's something we've already said. All of these things that we talk about when we're learning about these aspects of God, attributes attributes of God, the personality of God, character of God, this is how this works, this is how that works. Don't put God in a box. 
don't think that this stuff is formula. Don't think that, well, I asked and God's not doing what he said. You don't get to see the big picture he sees. You don't know what's going on in you. You don't know what's going on in other people. You don't know what's going on in God. God sees it all. And so always leave room for, yeah, these are truths. This is good stuff. What Jesus is teaching us, we need to grab a hold of this. And at the same time, we need to not be offended when it doesn't look like it's working out the way we think it ought to work out. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. It, being a Christian isn't easy. It's not a crutch. So anyway, let's go on, see if Samuel's right. We're still in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. It says this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, just in case you were reading along with me and you thought I skipped a spot, there is a little uh, section of text it's in some translations, it's not in others, that's because it's in some of the text and not in others, you know, the underlying original text or, or the fragments we have. It says this, it says, what father among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm just letting you know that that's in there uh, and that it's kind of a questionable one, but it seems to fit fine, so I don't know why it would be a problem. Anyway, What is going on in this verse? Well, Jesus, he's continuing to focus on the Father, and he now, uh, he's, he's, I think he's going to show us the difference between God and the reluctant friend. God wants to give you good gifts. And just based on our conversation, we there's lots of things that seem to be able to interfere with that, and it's not all easy for us to understand, but that's what God wants to do. And so, to help people understand how that looks, he uses fatherhood, because it's, it's nearly universal. It's an example that's super easy for people to relate to, because so many people, <laughs> and we might even say all of us, in in a sense, have either been a father or had a father or, or something. And I get it. There are some people, their circumstances are different, bad, and, and they don't really have any example of that. But it's nearly universal. And I just want you to, uh, well, here, I'm going to tell another kid's story. Imagine, imagine the scenario. You've got uh, just a, a little kid and he's looking up and he's going, Papa, can I have some bread? And the dad says, here's a rock, you little loser. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I mean, we <laughs> recoil at any kind of behavior. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, I would even say, if it wasn't me just goofing around, if, if, if we saw anything like that in real life, that is sickening to us. And we're humans. Humans don't have a particularly great track record at righteousness. 
And I mean, even Jesus said it in here, you being evil, humans, in a sense, we, we are evil, certainly compared to God. We behave in an evil manner so often. We think, we speak. It doesn't make us inherently evil through and through. It's just saying, man, we do stuff like that a lot. We've demonstrated a great propensity, capacity for evil. But even us, if we are willing and able to give good gifts to our kids, how much more is God willing and able? It's not even a contest. And so even though we look around us, Samuel, back to your point, we can see, but but it's not working out. God says it. God wants it. We're asking for it. Why is it not happening? But no, we, we have to stand. This is part of our faith. We have to stand on what we believe to be the truth. God is love. God does care. God does want these things. We live in a fallen world, and God's in the process of fixing that. That is how he's loving us. But notice, Jesus he kind of slipped a twist in on us, Samuel. What was the thing that that was being asked for? Oh, yeah. It was in, oh, well, uh, Jesus was saying in verse 13 that he gave the example of the father and the child with the gifts. And then he says, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit? Which is kind of weird. Yeah, because they were asking for bread or fish or an egg. And then they were being given a stone or a serpent or a scorpion. And then Jesus twists it around. And like you said, he starts talking about God is willing to give the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm pointing it out because it seems weird to us, right? But here's the thing. Serpents and scorpions. So we're going to kind of ignore the bread and stone one now. Serpents and scorpions were often used as symbols for evil spirits, unclean spirits, demonic spirits. So if he's talking, he's using like the bad example of evil spirits. He asked for, uh, let me, sorry, let me get it right. Uh, he asked for fish and he gave him a serpent, you know, and again, we're going to say, well, symbolically, a lot of times that's an evil spirit. He asked for an egg, gives him a scorpion. Oh, another symbol for a, an evil spirit. Well, now maybe Jesus, he's making the symbolic contrast, evil spirits versus the good spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, at the end of all of this, the Holy Spirit is what we should be relentlessly seeking from him. In a sense, the Holy Spirit is our, hey, can I have three loaves of bread? I had a friend come visit. And so when you put that in context, the Holy Spirit, he is the one that guides us to understanding truth, to to understanding God, to knowing more of God. And so maybe, Samuel, the answer to your question might be, or, or maybe an additional part of the answer to your question is to say, look, we do seek things. Like, God, you know, this person, they, they seem to not be a disciple of yours, a, a child of yours. 
save them. They need you so much, right? We might pray that, and that's a good prayer. We don't see it happening. But if we put it into the context of, you know what? The super number one priority prayer should be Holy Spirit. I need more of your spirit. Why? So that these things that seem so confusing and disappointing and wrong to me that I just don't understand, maybe I can grow to understand them. Maybe I can actually begin to see and understand more through your eyes, God, than mine. So we need to be relentlessly going after the Holy Spirit. When we're talking about that persistence in prayer, It's not to say that other things aren't important. We definitely should pray for many things, all kinds of things. But that number one prayer should be for the Holy Spirit because so much comes with it. Not to mention, like the the, the simple fact, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to be actively writing the Torah on our mind and hearts. That's an awesome thing. And that's what it, well, I guess I should say, at least that's what's supposed to be happening. And it relates back to the prayer that Jesus gave them. Remember, we didn't read it here because we talked about it earlier in the podcast, but the prayer that he gave them, the, the Lord's Prayer, the Holy Spirit is our aid, our guide, our helper in bringing the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So, I don't know. I feel like you were right in that, hey, if we keep reading, maybe it'll tell us something more. I think that this is really good. I think it's super important. And I want to talk just a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and the importance of that, but this seems like a good opportunity to stop and see if you got anything there, Samuel. I mean, I think everything you said is super convicting and <clears throat> challenging. I Part of me feels like that Jesus' response is very nuanced for him to bring up the Holy Spirit in comparison to other things that it's we should true. be asking for. Um, but it, it makes me wonder whether the reason why he's bringing up the Spirit in this scenario is that through the Spirit revealing truth to his people, humanity, the body, whatever you want to insert there, that it kind of puts, not not that God's not willing to help and partner with us, but he's kind of putting the responsibility on humanity and letting God's word transform them to bring more kingdom on the earth. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It's like yeah. it, it it's showing maybe the the high calling that God is asking his people to do that is in alignment with what you said previously about the not infringing on the freedom part. He's like I'll give you the resources but I need someone to carry out like the goodness on this earth, like I can't do it all myself, and and maintain could but this, won't. Yeah, this freedom aspect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean it's funny because you you chose a couple of words. One of the words I was hoping you'd say was encouraging, <laughs> but but I get it. It 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 it, it is. These scriptures, sometimes if you just sort of read over them, you know, you can walk away with this really nice, happy sort of imagery and everything. You know, it's all good. When you really start digging in, it's it's not as easy. It becomes, like you said, nuanced. It becomes a little more difficult. Um, and it, it in the end, 
it brings up this great reliance on God being who he says he is, doing what he says he will do. And in the end, I mean, that is the definition of our faith. We either trust that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he would do, or we don't. And so when we see things around us working out, not working out the way we think they ought to, we remain firm, resolute, because we know, regardless of what our eyes see, he is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he'll do. It's a, I don't know. I I think this, this is Christian character building stuff, you know, when taken in connection with like what you're talking about, Samuel, the real life workings out, what happens when the rubber meets the road and it doesn't look the way I thought it's supposed to look. So it's good, good, good. Now, I did want to say something more about the the spirit. You know, I talked about he's our aid, our guide, our helper, all that. It's true. But I, I, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we sort of have this new enhanced view that we uh, take from the New Testament post Jesus's ascension, that kind of thing. So let's let's use an example from the book of Acts, chapter two, verses one through four. We're not going to read it, but this is this was the story of Pentecost. And what's funny about this is I think that there are many, 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 many Christians who imagine that Pentecost happened for the first time as described in Acts chapter two. And I think in some sense, they think that it was, you know, sort of like the only time we remember it, but, but that was it. That was the moment. But it's, that's very uninformed. Pentecost had existed for centuries and centuries among the Jewish people in Israel. It was one of the festivals, one of the feasts. It was a memorial celebration of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. This is a this is such a great picture. What was God doing at Sinai? God was giving mankind instructions on what it meant to be truly human. Remember, God created us originally, said it was all good. There's the fall in the garden. And somehow humanity gets pretty messed up. Humanity starts raising their own will above gods. And so in that sense, we become a little bit more like the animals, the beasts, we we stop being human. I, Tim Mackey calls it subhuman, which mm-hmm. I think is so classic. And so God gives these instructions so that we can understand again what it means to be truly human. And so when this is all happening at Sinai, there's a bunch of imagery that's going on, and it matches this imagery, uh, the, the, the imagery at Sinai matches the imagery in Acts chapter 2 at, you know, Pentecost, the, that, that special Pentecost. And what is this imagery? Well, back in Sinai, you've got the idea of the cloud and the storm, and, and in Pentecost at the temple, you've got this, this big wind, you know, the, the rush of wind. Um, at Sinai, uh, and now you don't read this so much when you're reading the story. A lot of this comes from Jewish tradition, Midrash, etc. But 
the the understanding, especially for everybody in the first century that would have been a part of this that we're reading about now, the voice actually became fire. And so in this imagery, God's voice is is breaking off into all these little independent flames of fire, and that voice is going to each individual person. And another thing is, uh, the tradition says that when we talk about those who came out of Egypt and were at the base of Mount Sinai, it was a diverse group. And so this voice was speaking through this, this fire, and it was speaking and being understood in multiple languages. In fact, in the tradition, what they do is relate that back to the Tower of Babel and how all of mankind was broken up into 70 nations. And so that's what's happening at Sinai. And then you come to Pentecost at the temple and, you know, it it says that there are tongues of tongues as if flames of fire or fire as if in tongues. I can't even remember how it says it now, but it's the same thing. And what happens? It's speaking and everyone is hearing it in their own language, understanding in their own language. And so it's like this this crazy thing uh, where all of the imagery from the original Sinai, the original you know reason for Pentecost, that imagery is there in the Pentecost story of Acts chapter 2. And so I think the reader is supposed to see that connection. And there's an extra one, the, the miracle of tongues that we see that comes forth is in some sense, it's like a reverse of what we saw at Babel. Men got confused at the Tower of Babel. The Pentecost story in Acts chapter 2 is like bringing men back it's it's taking away the confusion and the division. It's it's an opportunity for unity. But anyway, here's the thing: the Holy Spirit represents everything that was represented at Sinai. It is instruction on how to be truly human. The Holy Spirit is the 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 way in which the Torah is being written on our mind and hearts, and ultimately will be fully written on our mind and hearts. It's it's uh, it's like a purifying fire. And I shouldn't even say it, I should say he. He's reuniting mankind uh, sort of with themselves and with God. The Holy Spirit represents all of these things. And so we can look at it, we can read about it and go, wow, that's cool. But we also need to ourselves be pursuing it, seeking it with everything that's in us, asking for it in the context here, because of everything that can be gained by or through him or it. Uh, that's really good. And I had a maybe a, a light bulb moment with Jesus bringing up the Spirit here. Now we're talking. <laughs> and how that relates to the whole you out of you can call it mission statement of his ministry that started even before Jesus, like with John, which we've said it over and over again. The the point of the gospel is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And um there's this ministry that Paul and I both respect and value a whole lot, First Fruits of Zion. There's this article that actually Paul and I were 
in a discussion last night where this came up. Um, we'll link it in the show notes for you. Um, but it, it, the article is talking about the Holy Spirit and how it's a pledge of what to come. And I'm just going to read this short paragraph, and I hope that you can see the connection for why Jesus is bringing up the Spirit and how that relates to the, the purpose of the mission, which is the kingdom. So this is what the writer says. The significance of the Holy Spirit is not signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts. The significance of the Holy Spirit is that it betokens the kingdom of heaven. The miracles and gifts are not the main things. The miracles indicate the presence of the Spirit, and the Spirit indicates the presence of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples of Jesus testifies to the message of the good news, namely, that the kingdom is near and that Jesus is the Messiah who will bring it about. So, I don't know, that really nails it home for me to say like, oh, like that's why Jesus is stressing the importance of asking for the Spirit, because the more we ask for it, the more that the kingdom can actually be brought tangibly on earth through lives being transformed. Yeah. Oh, good call, Samuel. And don't you wish I could say things that way? <laughs> just kind of get right at the point and just, there you go. <laughs> you and me both, man. Oh, man. That's, uh, that is so good. Yeah. So I know I kind of, in a way, I've gone off on a soapbox here where we're talk. you know, we're trying to talk about prayer and Jesus is talking about these parables and all this, but it just, I don't know, when I was studying, it just seemed so important because I think there is a lot of confusion about who or what or why the Spirit is and 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 what we should expect. And, you know, I'm not a guy who's going to poo-poo the idea that the Spirit could do miraculous, wondrous things here and now. I am all for that. I I desire to see those things, right or wrong. I do. I want to see it. But I'm also super, super, super keenly aware <laughs> that so much of it just gets abused and there's goofiness and faking and just stupid, stupid, stupid stuff. But don't let that bring you to the place of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. Yeah. The spirit, it's an awesome thing and we need to go after it. And especially to your point, Samuel, in this article. We don't seek the Spirit because of the signs, miracles, wonders, whatever. We may desire to see stuff like that. That's not a bad thing. But that's not the point. We seek the Spirit because we want to be changed. We want to be a conduit for the kingdom. Everybody say, I'm a hose. I'm a hose. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, that is... That is the thing that we should want. It is God, if you will. It's like that willingness to lay down your life, be a new creation. Well, what does that new creation look like? It looks like everything that the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying and doing in you. It's, I don't know. It's just good stuff. Yeah. Well, this actually didn't go anywhere where I thought it was, don't I say, <laughs> but it was great. I'm having a good time. 
moving at the speed of sweet, sweet molasses. That's right. Yeah, but that's, you know what? It's okay. I am not going to be uh, harangued <laughs> into speeding up. <laughs> no. We're just going to do what the text, just however we go. It's just, yep. it's, a, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, if you got nothing, I got nothing. I think we're out of time. I say we stop here. Okie dokie. Today's outro is going to be short, sweet, and to the point. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on your podcast app so that people can get in touch with this content and how it can impact their life. You can check out more information about our podcast at our website, www.okidokimos.com. Please send us your comments or question at our email address, okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll see you all next week. Bye.